and welcome to this week's Freightonomics. I am head of freight market intelligence, Zach Strickland, here with chief economist Anthony Smith. And this is the show where we discuss the overall macroeconomic environment and combine it with the logistics sector. So we've got Dr. Zach Rogers on today uh, to give us their LMI update. Uh, and talk about a few other things. We've had a pretty interesting little set here since we last talked to Dr. Z. So I really want to kind of, you know, I want to talk about the LMI, obviously, but I also want to talk about some of these kind of ongoing environmental issues, not the environment in terms of <laughs> global warming or not, whatever that is, but the, uh, the environment that we're dealing with macroeconomically as well as in the transportation space. So that being said, Anthony Smith, are you going to be rude today and look down at your computer and not you talk bet to us? I am. <laughs> I'm going to be looking down. So if you want to jump in on the conversation, because we're going to be talking about a lot of good stuff. AB5 is going to be up for topic, as well as other policy changes and things like that. Want to jump into the conversation, you have questions for myself or Zach, you want to get Zach canceled or anything like that, jump in. If you happen to be watching 12 Eastern Standard Time on this Thursday afternoon, you can voice your opinion, ask a question, give some insight, join in, just have a shout out. So... I'll yeah. be on LinkedIn watching for those comments. Yeah, and today is probably the day that you're going to cancel me because I am going to kind of break my own rule <laughs> and get a little political. Not that I'm going to be political myself, but I'm going to talk about a little bit of how about how some of the politics of the world, geopolitical politics, they are they are a part of uh, the supply chain environment. So we have to acknowledge their existence. And there's some questions out there right now, especially regarding our relationship with China our current economic uh, viability in regards to, to China. Uh, and of course, I'm not even going to touch on Russia at this point, but uh, yeah, it, it's something that you have to, it has become such a big factor and a political risk in your day-to-day -day business nowadays. And it's something that you, you, we have to kind of, you know, breach, even though I don't really want to. <laughs> I mean, and, and starting it off, I mean, of course, we have um, some news items that we have to jump into. And, and Zach, you put together a lot of great um, articles to kind of jump into. The first one, of course, being um, international and jumping into what's yeah. happening in China and the slowing down uh, and, their, and their investment strategy right now. So that's going to be a def definitely interesting one because China's always doing something a little bit bit interesting, whether it's the complete shutdown and the right. COVID <laughs> policy um, or just completely shifting, you know, their investment strategies is always something coming out of China. Well, yeah. And this one is re in regards to American investment in China. So yeah. a lot of uh, the investment kind of soured uh, from the American standpoint in March. Uh, basically, the U.S., like the, this is an investment in the ETFs, Chinese ETFs. So a com compilation of all the Chinese funds. Uh, or stocks, I should say, into these funds. And now our financial sector is to 180 and said, okay, you know, we're, we're good now. And this comes on the heels of basically uh, Vice Premier Liu He, uh, the economic czar over there, basically came out and said that he made some market-friendly speech that says, hey, guys, we're going to be cool. Uh, now, And now all of a sudden, our, that's all our financial sector needed was some sort of speech, and I, I doubt that that's fully the reasoning behind it, but uh, because the last time I checked, it's hard to kind of trust anything uh, from that economy over there, right, Anthony? That's 100% correct. I mean, <laughs> if you look at anything that's coming out, you have to take it with a bucket of salt. Where it's their reporting numbers of their industrial production activity, yeah. their GDP growth, anything like that, it has to be taken into consideration, like, okay, what's really happening? What's, what can you kind of 
read between the lines to get into the details of what's really going on there. So there's always just going to be this this mass, this veil in the sense of what's actually happening versus what is happening. I mean, back into you know the ghost cities that were being built, you had to look at you know what kind of activity was happening on their rails to really mm -hmm. kind of dive into, okay, there's industrial activity, but where's it going? What does it really mean for the actual growth? And now when you look at this type of investment strategy, whether it's coming from here or to China, it's also gonna kind of be mirrored with, okay, what are they kind of looking to get at? Not what their actions are, but what are going to be some of the outcomes from their actions mm -hmm. and what's going to be the direction they're trying to head in. Yeah, and it, it, to me, and again, this came from the Wall Street Journal, uh, and, and one of the things that I also read about this week was the fact, I mean, com combining this with this idea that our current political structure slash environment, uh, of course, bleeding into the economic world uh, as it, you know, as it happens is not, it's so polarized right now with the conservative and, and Democrat really just lining up. <laughs> you know, there's no middle ground in our political system at this point. Uh, bipartisan stuff is really not happening. And that's been one of the criticisms. Uh, the Singapore, uh, the premier of Singapore came out and said, this is not a great structure for such a rapidly changing environment. And I think we can kind of agree on that, that yeah. uh, our structure isn't great if we're going to be so polarized and say you can either be uh, totally right or totally left, um, you're not going to have to a lot of, you're not going to come to a lot of decisions. Yeah. And those decisions are going to be extreme uh, at that. So I, I, I see what they're saying here. And then maybe this is what the financial sector sort of looking at in the way that our own economic stability uh, or political stability is transitioning down into the economy a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, what, that's the uh, one of those things that's almost like a seesaw effect of overcorrection into one way and overcorrection into another way. And even what there's in biomechanics, I know this is an econ show and a freight show, but biomechanics, even when you're running, if you're swaying too far left and too far right, you're never going to be efficient yeah. in getting across that finish line in the fastest way possible. Yes, and I want to talk to Dr. Uh, Rogers about that here in a bit. But first off, let's die. Let's let's a few of these stories uh, real quickly here. So big news this week, uh, and I, I wanted to hit this one. Uh, Vermont-based LTL carrier Land Air reportedly ceases operations. Now, you're going to think, okay, the market's turning, you know, another uh, trucking failure. Nah. <laughs> Go ahead and check this out. Clarissa uh, Hawes wrote this uh, report on Freightways.com. But to me, the big takeaway <laughs> Anytime. Anytime a private equity company takes uh, some sort of financial control of a trucking company, it is not a great mix, my personal opinion, uh, having had the experience in that sector. And that it's just it's not a good fit for what they expect as an outcome in terms of transactional uh, revenue. Yeah. Because that's what they make their money on is the transactions. They don't make money on the business itself. They want to turn uh, that into some sort of multiple of earnings sale in two to five years. Now, if you think about that, when you're talking about such tight operations, they don't have a lot of free cash flow in some of these trucking operations. Uh, so they don't get a very high valuation. So that means they're going to have to figure out a way to either reduce cost or expand their margins, which expanding your margin is heavily dependent on the market. Yeah. So, and also you don't want to have a trucking company with a short term horizon on your, on your revenue growth because all that does is kill the company in the long run. Right. And so this, this to me is a, just an example of private equity and trucking, trucking just do not go together very well. 
Yeah, and I've, I've had experience um, working in an environment with private equity, and mm-hmm. you're exactly right. That timeline that they're trying to hit, that two to five, three to five year window mm-hmm. of like, all right, we have to get this right, turn it, and flip it for a profit, and just keep it moving. And when you're looking at what they're looking to do, it's just, mm-hmm. okay, like you said, fix these levers. What's the easiest way to go about expanding our profit margin? Okay, like you said, market uh, dependent. What's the easiest way to free up some cash? And yep. that's going to be one of those areas. Exactly. So I want to go ahead and bring Dr. Rogers on because uh, I know he's got lots of things to say about this. And I just felt like that was a good one to, to tackle there because we also, of course, had our LMI released. Uh, Todd Maiden covered this on FreightWaves.com, our, you know, our financial market guy. But welcome, Dr. Rogers. Thanks for coming back out. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, I don't think you should ask me questions about how to run and, and stay balanced <laughs> left and right. That was not <laughs> – no one has ever thought of me as a running expert. You know, you can do the 23andMe tests, and uh, they'll give you little attributes about yourself. And the other Dr. Rogers who was here last time, one of the attributes that said on his was not a sprinter, which is correct. We, we, <laughs> and we're still running in the Rogers family. Um, but I'm happy to talk about some of the other stuff. Um, and, uh, and if, if you want, we can, we can start right into the LMI. Let's do it. So what, so, what, what, what do we see this month? I mean, we were talking about last month, you know, we're still seeing a continuation of trend, uh, inventory growth, still a thing, but a slowing pace, uh, transportation capacity becoming a little bit, more, not as active <laughs> as it's been. So what are we, what did we see in June? Well, some of those things flipped around actually. Mm-hmm. So inventory levels going back up. We're now at a 71 for everyone uh, uh, who's not familiar, any number over 50 means growth. Any number under 50 means contraction. That means for inventory levels, we have been in the 70s now for five of the six months uh, of, of 2022. Now, to put that into perspective, from 2016 to 2021, we were only above 70 twice. Okay. And we've already been above it five times uh, out of six. And so inventory levels continue to climb, especially as we see a slowdown in consumer spending. You know, consumer spending was a little bit inflated uh, in in May, at least, by sort of long-term uh, goods, you know, durables, um, little consumable things, consumer package stuff. That really, really dipped. Um, you know, it still grew, but like at like 0.2%, I think, from April. So we have a lot of softness, uh, especially at, at the retail level. And if you break out, uh, you know, warehousing utilization, upstream and and downstream, those downstream retailers just have significantly, uh, significantly more warehousing utilization right now because everything's sort of stuck down um, at at the end of of supply chains. What this means, uh, what this means, going back to your, your other question, Zach, is warehousing capacity. We thought maybe we were seeing like a little light at the end of the tunnel last month because last month in May, the second half, we saw warehouse capacity get up to 50.5. The first growth we had seen uh, in, in two years, since September 2020, I believe, the first growth we had seen, wiped out. Now we're at a 41 uh, in June. That's wow. gone. That was, that was a mirage. <laughs> that was, there was nothing there. Uh, and we're seeing that both upstream and downstream. Warehousing capacity continues to be incredibly tight. And uh, as I'm sure we'll talk about uh, as we go on, that's causing ripple effects all the way up the chain where we're seeing dwell times go up, even though there's not a lot of ships off the docks and just problems all throughout uh, the chain. And this is before peak season. And so it'll be interesting kind of to see where this goes in the next couple months. 
Yeah. So I got to ask, is this, do you think this is more of a, uh, you know, a factor of over-ordering or is this some of the waning demand? Because the retail sales numbers, they're not down dramatically. And I know there's some inflationary pressure there, but I haven't seen anything that makes me think that the orders for, you know, durable goods have shrunk enough to kind of account for all of this. So do you think that this is more of a demand side or a over-ordering? situation for the warehouses? A lot of it is, is has to do with the overordering, you know, because okay. for a long time, retail demand was going like this. And so we were ordering for this trajectory and then instead it's, it's, you know, maybe here. So like you say, it's still some growth, but not the real level of, of sharp growth that, that we were hoping for. And a lot of that has to do with last year, lead times effectively tripled. And so it was almost impossible to make sure that you had inventory when customers need it. And this is a classic sort of overcorrection uh, that we see all the time. And, and it's it was really an overcorrection to the overcorrection. You know, 2020, uh, we had too much inventory. And so we just stopped ordering things. Remember car companies were like, oh, well, we shouldn't build any cars right now. That'll be smart. That'll be good for us long term. GM won't miss 95,000 cars in, in the early 2022. And, uh, you know, they stopped ordering. And then 2021 happens. Demand goes through the roof. And because we had overcorrected in 2020, we didn't have nearly enough inventory. We overcorrect again, and this goes back to Anthony's uh, thing of running. You notice I'm I'm doing it more like a car because that's how <laughs> I, you know, I, I go down the street to get the mail in my car. Um, and so you know, we overcorrect the other direction, and now we have too much inventory. And the problem with the too much inventory is it came in so late, and there was nothing really to do with it. And now we are going to see, I think, something fascinating in the next couple months. Because as, as both of you know, and, and there's been a lot of articles about some freight waves, this is sort of the slow season uh, in terms of, of ports, what we kind of have just been through. In July, August, September, we should see generally in a normal year uh, imports really starting to ramp up right now. Who knows what's going on in China? But we should see imports starting to ramp up back to school, Q4, holidays, all of that stuff. It is so important this year for companies not to overcorrect again. But at the same time, you don't want to make the, the same mistakes you made in 2020 where you totally take your foot off the gas with orders because then we'll, we overcorrect going the other way. And so it's I think it's going to be fascinating over the next couple of months to see how companies try to sort of thread that need. Oh, we lost him for a minute. <laughs> uh, you know, like to see him frozen up there. But I think he's making a good point here. Uh, the fact that, he, you know, we, we get in this stuck in this cycle of correction and overcorrection like we, we can't seem to find that middle ground. And, you know, I was at Gartner a, a few weeks ago in Orlando and talking to a lot of these supply chain managers. And the biggest problem they complained about was demand forecasting. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's it's so hard to do right now, right? It is. <laughs> and I think so when we're looking at um, the misplaced inventory and where everything is because we have too much of some of the wrong stuff. Yeah. Um, the thought process, I think, for a lot of producers and a lot of shippers is, okay, we were talking about this earlier on in the year, beginning of the year, fire sales, just get rid of everything, right. empty out the inventories, make room for this new stuff that has to come in. The issue might be that some retailers, some outlets get rid of everything on, and, and the replenishment is going to be so pricey and that's going to create another type of inflationary period because we look at what some of the deflationary uh, levers might be because one of the questions I got to ask when I made the call of, hey, mm -hmm. there might be an oversupply of inventory kind of moving forward into the middle part of the year. is like, mm -hmm. hey, won't that have some deflationary um, impacts on it? And the 
answer is yes, in some markets, in some areas, but it's going to be inflationary when some of these producers look to yeah. replenish their supply, replenish that inventory. And that's not going to mean that there's going to be fixes or changes in the supply chain as those replenishments come back in. So there might be a short-term relief to some inflationary pressures in some small segments, but then it's just going to be uh, amplified even more so as that replenishment kind of comes back into play. And this is, the, I mean, again, the pendulum swing. Yeah. I mean, that's really the environment we're talking about. And it's made things really volatile. So the problem with volatility, now some people like myself kind of like chaos, <laughs> but I like controlled chaos. I don't like things to go outside of certain boundaries. I think some level of chaos is beneficial for progress and making things better. We get stuck in a rut too long. Things stagnate. Yeah. It's not that interesting. Uh, but a little bit of volatility is good. I think what we have right now, though, is things swinging outside of those boundaries a lot, and it's making it... So when you, when you have this le level of volatility, and this is, again, it goes back to that political concern that we were started the show with about how we're so bipolar mm -hmm. <laughs> in our decision-making process now, this is really hard to forecast for. Typically, you have these kind of somewhat predictable patterns that are... We call them seasonality. I hate seasonally adjusted figures because I just, I, you're always relying on that pattern to persist throughout time. And that's not, it's not like the weather, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yes, the weather does have an influence, but that's the only thing that you can kind of say seasonally is going to occur every year. But even then we have variation, right. uh, you know, with that. So when you have this level of volatility, it forces people to become more flexible, which isn't the worst thing, you know, but you have to hedge all these decisions now. Uh, and so when you hedge all these decisions, you lose your ability to progress quicker. Right. You lose your precision. Uh, you lose your specialization. And if you're not able to kind of focus your energy, you're not going to be able to move forward as quickly. And I think mm -hmm. that's going to be one another area that uh, an area that you kind of touched on just now mm -hmm. was that, avail that ability to really kind of pivot and, mm -hmm. and move and make these changes. And that kind of leaks into a concern I have around the U.S. economy, and that's going to be around the consumer. Um, we're seeing, of course, savings rates drop, things like that. I keep saying, and, and I know we have in the notes here, um, consumer sentiment, I think, was was mentioned here. Came out. Uh, no, came not, out. They don't feel good. <laughs> not, they haven't felt good. And I, this has been one of those areas that I've kind of been not ignoring, but putting on the back burner for a while. Yeah. And only because it doesn't matter right now because it's being blunted and, and kind of shielded off by the jobs market. Yeah. And that jobs market is a temporary weak and shield because that can be gone in a, a blink of an eye. It can just completely drop yep. overnight if there's all, all these, you know, layoffs, recessionary trends set in. Now companies are starting to, you know, let go a lot of people, business conditions can just completely shift. Now these consumers are going to be faced with the reality of the decisions that they put themselves in over the last year yeah. and a half or so. Now, all that purchasing activity, that buying that the credit card, those uh, non-revolving uh, credit utilization, whether it be a uh, home or car, I think the automotive market yep. is going to be one to watch closely because that likely be one of the first ones to go before they decide not to pay the mortgages. And so that's going to be one I'm watching closely. But these consumers are going to be exposed in a really awful way. If like there's a real way. It's not going to be just like, I feel bad about the future. It's going to yeah. be like, I look at my bank account. I don't got it. <laughs> yeah, because before it's like, hey, at least I can just go get a different job or higher paying job. When that's no longer the case, now these credit card utilizations that's been, you know, kind of 
piling up over the last year and a half, two years is going to be a reality. Mm -hmm. Then other nightmare that's really building up, I think, for the end of the year is going to be those buy now, pay later programs that a lot of people have been utilizing. There are going to be some penalties, I think, for, hey, I, I missed a payment okay, now that's going to start incurring some interest rate uh, yeah. in charges. And that's going to be another pain point for a lot of consumers, not just a credit card, not just the car payments, but also some of those buy now, pay laters that have been really piling up over this last year and a half. Yeah, because now obviously the credit card, the revolving credit is not going to be that buffer. Yeah. It's already kind of spent. Um, right. So the, the one thing, and I, I guess we're, got, we're probably not going to have Dr. Z on. We're going to have to have him next week, though, because yeah. we're not done with him if his schedule permits. Uh, I wanted to touch on the AB5 mm -hmm. situation. So maybe, we, oh, we got him back. So yes. maybe we can bring him back because I kind of wanted to, I wanted to at least ask him his thoughts on this. I know, Dr. Rogers, thank God you're back. <laughs> uh, so we, I wanted to, I don't know if you caught any of our conversation or discussion, but we kind of fast forwarded through some things. And of course, I want to have you back next week if you can uh, to complete sure. our discussion. But I at least wanted to get your thoughts. And I know this is sort of outside your, you know, focus area. But I want to get your thoughts on AB5. And I don't know if you've been following it closely or not. So, uh, but yeah. it's, you know, it has a lot of, you know, obviously interest in it because everybody thinks that it's going to be this big thing uh, that disrupts capacity further. Well, it's happening as we're transitioning to a, you know, obviously a looser environment. Do you have any uh, specific takeaways uh, from this specific ruling? Yeah, ab absolutely. Yeah. By the way, I think this is the first time it was ever not my Wi-Fi's fault. So I just want <laughs> right. us to mark down the day uh, and time. So, yeah. So AV5 is really interesting because it's coming at a time when I think we were seeing some market forces moving against owner operators anyway, you know, you guys had a great article last week talking about the spread between diesel, uh, diesel wholesale and retail prices. And as we know, the smaller sort of owner operators, the ones who are kind of most in the crosshairs of, of AB5, uh, they're paying retail price for diesel anyway, right? And so they were already at a big disadvantage. And we had seen, and we're seeing this in the warehouse space too, which I think is fascinating. We are seeing a big sort of absorption of of some of the smaller players by the uh, by by you know some some of the bigger players, and we're seeing that in transportation, and we're seeing that in warehousing. And what I think AB five is really going to do is sort of speed uh, speed that up a little bit and move us towards a place where we do have uh, we do have more sort of. Uh, you know, truckers who are working for companies as official employees. Now, th there's a weird push and pull here because on one hand, you're like, look, a lot of the appeal of the trucking sort of lifestyle is being an owner operator, being your own boss. And, and, and really, we kind of have this system that exists because they're not full employees. You know, if, if they become full employees, costs are going to go way, way up. All right, right. We all know sort of what sort of pre-deregulation exactly. trucking was like, where a frozen turkey was twice as expensive as a cooked turkey, depending on whatever crazy regulations we have. And I don't think we want to go back towards what we had in the 60s and the 70s. At the same time, uh, during that period, the adjusted wages for truckers was much higher. And it was a much more attractive uh, job. You know, it was a true middle class job, something that had to do with unions and things like that. And so Yes, we will, I think, absolutely add expenses uh, with AB5. And for some truckers, they, they might not like it. But for others, it may make trucking a more attractive job. And, you know, we've been butting our heads for the last 20 years about how do we get more people to sign up to be truckers. And possibly uh, with the regulations in AB5, there will be some positives on that side. But, you know, I think there's bad and good. It's, it's certainly not a panacea. 
Um, you know, I would have been fine if they just used it for Uber and left the trucks <laughs> alone, basically. But uh, we'll, we'll see how it turns out. Do you think it's a net negative or net benefit if you are a shipper? If you're a shipper, I, I think there's an, the, the, neg, the adjustment period will be negative. Okay. You know, I, I think there will be a negative in the adjustment period. But if it, say, increases capacity eventually down the line, once we've adjusted to the new normal, it could be better. But that's more of a long-term thing. And then, of right. course, you know, always putting more money in the pockets of consumers, I think, is a good idea because that's where the spending happens. You, know, you put money in the pockets of, of really rich people and they start a Bitcoin that goes nowhere. You know? So I think <laughs> you want to put it in, in the pockets of you know, truckers and things like that. I think long-term, it may be a net positive. But certainly the, the short term is, is going to be a tough adjustment period, I think. Oh, that's a fascinating take. I hadn't even thought about the fact that you're talking about the acceleration of the defragmentation, of the, which is mm -hmm. part of that cycle that we're seeing right now, which actually counteracts the inflationary pressure a little bit, which is, I hadn't thought about that. A lot of levers being pulled here. I mean, woo, that's why we have you on. <laughs> well, we're, we're out of time for this week's show. Uh, hopefully we can make up for it next week. I know it's still summer, so you come back. Yep. No, I'll be around. I'll be around. I'm drinking water like Anthony wants me yes. to. And uh, and I would also just point out, you know, bipartisanship does exist. We did pass the uh, no daylight savings time bill 100 to zero in April. We did. Okay? You're right. You're right. All and agree, I love that. Like to stay out <laughs> Some things we can it. all agree on still. Thank goodness. You've given me hope, uh, Dr. Rogers. Well, thank you for joining us this week. And of course, thank you all for watching. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll be back next week. Drink more water like Dr. Zach Rogers is doing. We appreciate you tuning in. We'll be back next week.